this is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hi, I'm Latoya Edwards, and welcome to Mommy Jamie's Night. This is going to be a great place to just relax and chat with other moms. So I hope you have on your comfy jammies, you've got your snacks, whatever you want to drink, and don't forget your box of tissue as we get ready for a time of fellowship and encouragement. I can't wait for you to meet my friends. I just know that you will be blessed by their stories and what they have to share. All right. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mommy Jamie's Night. And I'm so excited to have my guest, Jeannie Fulbright, here with us tonight. Um, welcome, Jeannie. Thank you. <laughs> so when I got to meet Jeannie in February at the Real Refreshment Conference in Atlanta, and it was really fun. It was a good weekend. I cried my eyes out. Um, and But I was very encouraged, and Jeannie is so sweet. Um, and everybody made fun of me there because um, they all discovered that I don't like chocolate. Um, so it was fun. So tonight, Jeannie's going to share with us about imparting a biblical worldview for our children. So I'm going to give you the floor, Jeannie, and I'll be back at the very end. Okay, thank you. Well, um, for those who don't know me, my name is Jeannie Fulbright, and I'm the author of Apologia's Elementary Science. With elementary, elementary through middle school science curriculum, the Exploring Creation series, which has astronomy, botany, zoology, anatomy and physiology, and um, chemistry and physics. And, um, and I'm also launching into a new career as a fiction author, so, but under a different name, Jeannie Kay. So that's kind of my, my, um, my, my work situation. But the most important thing in my life, of course, is my children and homeschooling them. Just all the years that we we have spent, I've learned so much just about um, the through a lot of the times through the mistakes I've made, and so a lot of the stuff I'm going to share with you today um, are things that God laid on my heart as I made mistakes, or just um, as I saw other people making mistakes, and, and I just think these are so important um, to hear from moms that have gone before you. My children are. Um, my oldest will be 21 in October, and she is a uh, junior at the University of Georgia. And um, my, and then I have a, a a son who's graduating this year, another son who is um, a sophomore, and he right now is in Munich, Germany, but he's coming home tomorrow. I haven't seen him in a while, so I'm really excited for him. He's been backpacking through Europe for. Um, just for fun and educational, of course, we count it as school. So, um, and then I have a, um, a four, almost 14-year-old daughter. She'll be 14 next month. So we have done the little years and we've done the middle years, and now we're kind of moving into the sending them off out into the world and um, to to mark their paths and follow the lead that God has placed on their heart. And that's where I am in my, um, in my homeschool journey. Um, and so I, when my kids were little, we went to a lot of biblical worldview conferences, really great ones, put on by some amazing groups and individuals. And, in fact, my, my um, son who's graduating this year went to um, Summit Ministries um, for it was like a two-week camp in, um, in Bryan, at Bryan College in Tennessee where he was just basically taught a lot about the biblical, about a biblical worldview and just looking at the world and what worldview is. And so through all of that, they got a lot of teaching on worldview. 
But what I realized that in order for parents to really impart a biblical worldview, it's got to be more than teaching. The question is that you probably are asking, what is exactly a biblical worldview? And so I would say the answer to that, I've kind of thought through all the different definitions I've seen, um, but the answer to that is, I believe, seeing the world through the filter of God's word that you live out God's word in, a, in your day-to-day life. And and though we went through all these big conferences and camps, there really wasn't a practical element to helping the children or even the adults who listened know some practical how-tos on how they maybe are or are not seeing the world and living out their lives through the filter of the Word of God. Because most of us were not given a biblical worldview. We're not raised with a biblical worldview. Most people were um, raised by parents that were just, you know, struggling to make it and and working hard. And and maybe they went to church, maybe they didn't. We went to church on Christmas. That was it when I was growing up. So, So I didn't know what a biblical worldview was. But when I understood that it was actually living out the Word of God in your day-to-day life, I realized that sometimes and in some ways I am imparting a biblical worldview to my children. But I saw that there were many ways that I, and and I also noticed many other homeschool moms, were not imparting this biblical worldview, not just homeschool moms, uh, other Christian moms as well. And so I want to share this talk just to to give you some practical ideas about how you can impart a biblical worldview. The, you know, of course, the first thing that most people think about is teaching, and teaching is important, and I believe it's so important to to choose Christian curriculum that can truly point our children's eyes to God and, and God's God's work in creation and God's work in science and God's work in history. And so that they, they have that teaching of a biblical world, that view, that's very important. And that we're doing Bible and devotions with them, that we're teaching them the word of God in, um, before we even start the academics of school. And that is so valuable and important. But I think even um, as important and maybe even more important is that we impart a biblical worldview by example, because our children will learn more by what we do and and say, and they'll know what to think by the things we say, even when when we think they're not listening, and the things that we think and the ways that we behave. And that's really the foundation of how we impart a biblical worldview to our children. And so we want to be living out the Word of God to our children. That's essentially what imparting a biblical worldview is to them. One of the things that I really struggled with when my children were little was focusing on their academics over their heart. And I have a story that I often tell when I'm at talks, and I talk about how my daughter, she was the first child to be homeschooled, and I had everything all set up. And you have the weight of the world on your shoulders when you're teaching these children. You think, oh, my goodness, it's all about me doing a good job of getting these kids educated. And so my daughter sat down at the table with her little math worksheet. And, of course, math was a very important subject, and she needed to finish her math worksheet. And the, all the other little kids were all just crawling around and wandering around and toddling around and getting into trouble. And her her little brother, who was three years younger than her, 
crawled under the table and started biting her toes while she was trying to do math. Now, what does a six-year-old do when her brother is biting her toes? She starts screaming at him. And of course, I also am concerned about her doing her schoolwork, and so I join her. What are you doing under there? Get out from under there. You are not to be biting your, your sister's toes. Get, what, what am I telling you? What are you supposed to be doing? And he's just yelling and you this whole, like, just really upset about the fact that he was being a little boy. And that's all he was being is just a little boy. And and I allowed my daughter to behave in a manner that was ungodly towards her brother because her schoolwork was more important than behaving godly. And I made, and, I, and in fact, her, his, her schoolwork was more important than me to behave godly, to have a, a gentle and quiet spirit to my children. No, I yelled at him and I got so mad at him about that. And, you know, this was a constant kind of situation that was going on when all the kids were a little miling, which one's going one and trying to keep, you know, the rest of the kids occupied. But God just really convicted my heart that I was developing a habit in her of unkindness, pride, and focusing on academics over character, godliness, and the heart. And so the Lord convicted my heart of that, and and I, I realized that when we have situations like that, that's a teaching opportunity to to teach her heart to to live out the word of God by being kind and gentle and having a gentle answer to her brother and not being so angry spirited towards him when he was misbehaving towards her and and that's what we talked about and oh was she perfect after that no when i would stop what we were doing okay you're getting angry right now this is not the appropriate response let's let's not the math worksheet is not as it finishing that math worksheet is not as important as how you behave towards your family members and towards your brothers and sisters. And so we did that's where we stopped. I stopped after I don't know how long it was, but it was long enough to where the family people were kind of at, you know, a little bit I would say an unhappiness, an unhappy spirit was permeating our home. And so and so we started focusing on the heart. And I would say that that is so important because strong academics do not come from, from, from focusing on academics. Strong academics come from focusing on character and the heart. You see, focusing on their schoolwork and finishing everything and all this burden we've put on our shoulders is not going to produce academic success. That comes from focusing on their heart. And a heart yielded to God will produce far more success, whether it's academic or any other area of their life. And that's what we want is our children's hearts to be yielded to God. And we need to to put off and push away that tendency to feel the stress and pressure of all this academic work that we feel burdened to complete and to do at all the times and finish everything and get through everything and get through cre- I'm telling you, I have very successful academic children. They're very successful academically. My daughter went to University of Georgia on scholarship, and she's making straight A's. She's on the dean's list. She's a great student. We never never once finished a curriculum. 
in her whole homeschool career. And, and I mean, and I, that was a lot of years. <laughs> so that, um, that does show that you don't have to have all these things completed and all these boxes checked in order to produce academically successful children. What you want is children whose hearts love God, seek Him, are yielded to Him. And, and, are, and you have to live out that by making sure academics doesn't look like the most important thing. Because here's was the problem is that even though I said that it wasn't the most important thing, my behavior was showing that it was. And so that's one example of how we can we can live out a biblical worldview in front of our children. I think another really important thing for us as Christians is to constantly tell our children that they have ultimate value and purpose in God and let them know that they were created for a purpose. This is, I would say, the key foundation of a biblical worldview, that the humans are a special creation of God and that he has designed us for a purpose, which he prepared in advance, just as Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance, in advance for us to do, walk in. And What's really powerful about that is that that's true, not just for us, but for our children. God, they are God's creation. They are created in Christ Jesus. To, he's already prepared in advance what he wants them to walk in and do with their lives. And we need to be giving that truth to our children and talking about it regularly. Let it be our mantra. When they complain about doing their schoolwork, we need to point them to the fact that they're God's creation and he has a plan and a purpose for their life. When they feel bad about themselves, maybe they're not good at something, God didn't create you to be good at that because he's created you to be good at the things he created you to be good at, to live the life that he's already chosen for you, which your job is to figure it out and walk in it because he wants you to walk in that. You are created to do works that he's prepared in advance. And we, we let them know this when they win, when they lose, when they struggle with school, when, they're, when they succeed, when they're, whatever they do, whenever they behave poorly or behave well, when they feel left out or alone or lonely or bullied or rejected, these are important truths that we want to, to place in their hearts so they see beyond the now and this moment to I have an ultimate purpose and an ultimate plan that God has called me to, to fulfill. And they'll see their lives as bigger and beyond themselves. And I think that's a really important thing that we talk about regularly with our children in order to impart that biblical worldview, to see the world through the truth of God's word, which is he values them and loves them and, and wants for them to walk in, in his will for them. And, and it's a unique and individual will that he has for them. And I think we, we have a duty to, to give them an excitement about that, about who they are. You are valuable. And I think that is um, hugely important in imparting a biblical worldview to our children. Another thing that I have found amongst homeschool moms, especially because our lives aren't just the, uh, you know, the, the easy going and playing tennis and hanging out with friends lives that, you know, our counterparts across the street may have. But I think that one thing we need to practice in our, in, 
in our lives, in our daily lives, and I, and I would say not just homeschool moms, but everybody needs to practice an attitude of gratitude. I see that probably the number one um, way that we forfeit, we take away from from that biblical worldview sort of mindset we would give our children because because the Bible tells us that we should be so grateful all the time. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything. Homeschool. Drive the kids to practice. Go and make dinner and lunch and breakfast and do laundry. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I remember reading one time about those who fell in the desert, and God was angry with them because they had sinned by grumbling and complaining, not believing that God had a good plan for their life, but that their hardship was going was gonna to result in great things. And we want to keep that attitude of gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I, I will admit, I'm going to raise my hand right now, I have lived in a complaining spirit, and I fall back into it all the time. This is a problem that, that we must continually remind ourselves, I have a bad attitude about this situation. I need to have an attitude of gratitude, and that, and because a spirit of ingratitude shows a lack of trust in God. A lack of trust in God's plan and purpose in the things that happen in your life. Remember, um, first, um, actually, is it first? I think it's James. No, James. It's not first. It's James. One talks about how all how we need to give thanks in all circumstances. Oh, I don't remember actually. I can't even remember what that scripture is. It says, um, "I'm going to look it up right now." Um, it says, "Okay." looking up scripture as we speak. And my computer is pretty, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we as homeschool moms, we face a lot of trials. We face trials of many crazy kinds, trials that other moms never have to worry or work through. But when we face these trials, we need to consider it pure joy and remember that God has a purpose in these things. I remember one time my, um, I found out later that my son had been severely bullied in um, a Boy Scout situation. And I was furious, furious about it. And, of course, you know, as a mom, you would be too. We don't want our children to be bullied. But God later used that in a powerful way in my son's life. And that's a whole other story for a whole other talk. But I realize now that no matter what circumstances our children go through, no matter what they experience, that we should have an attitude of gratitude and give thanks in all circumstances because he is going to use everything. He, he wants us to trust him. We need to trust in his will and his sovereignty in our lives. And even when bad things happen, we should trust him that he will use those things in our lives, in our children's lives for good. And he will bless us through those things. And if we can remember that, even when we're going through hard times and we give thanks in that thing, I would never have thought to give thanks for my son being bullied. And I believe, this is my belief, that when, when in First Thessalonians 5.18, when it says give thanks in all circumstances, 
We're not supposed to look for something to be thankful. We're actually supposed to give thanks for that actual hardship, that hard circumstance, and that is trusting God. That's truly trusting and having faith in God if you can give thanks for the hardship. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I believe God blesses that. I believe that that makes the devil tremble and run away as fast as possible because I believe that if we can have a grateful attitude, it becomes a filter through which you see the world, and that, I believe, is a biblical worldview. And we want to model that attitude of gratitude to our children instead of complaining about something that happened at church or something that somebody said or did or the fact that we're not as whatever as somebody else is and the whole comparison thing. Instead of complaining, we choose to be grateful and we choose to give thanks. And if our children see that, they will be given a biblical, a biblical glasses with which to see the world through an attitude of gratitude to be grateful. And that's what God wants for us is to be grateful that is his will for us. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for so this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Another thing I find a lot of um, struggle with, and I think it, it can really have a huge impact on our children's biblical worldview if we will choose to walk in this one, I would say, biblical mandate, that is the mandate of forgiveness. Because we live amongst sinners. None of us has friends that are Jesus Christ. So every single one of our friends, every single one of our family members, everybody has the ability to hurt us. And we often get hurt or offended regularly in church and at home with our spouse, with our friends, with our children, with our homeschool groups, with our homeschool leaders of our homeschool group. And our children see us getting hurt. They see us getting offended, but how do they see us respond when we've been offended? Do they hear us talking about it over and over and over again on the phone with our friends or to our spouse? Do they hear us complaining about it and getting upset about it and and just going on? And, of course, we're going to have moments where we're just like, I can't believe she said that. You know, of course, we're going to have that. But what we want to do is we want to model to our children forgiveness because that is so really relieving for them to learn how to forgive and how to choose forgiveness. I love when my children choose forgiveness. And I, I, my daughter was in a situation even this year where some girls had been really mean to her. And she wanted to, she wanted so bad because she's 13, she wanted to be mean back. And I have taught her, you know, all her life, you know, about forgiveness. And so I just talked her through. When you're, when you're, your child's 13, you kind of just have to, you, 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 you step back a little and just start talking them through. Like, well, what would happen if you said that to her? And why would that help you to say that to her? And eventually she came up to me. She was like, Mom, I just figured out, I just need to forgive her. She's like, I just felt, and when I chose to forgive her, I just felt so, like, free. And that's the truth, is when we choose to forgive people, we free ourselves from the prison of bitterness. Because bitter, bitterness is a prison. It holds you hostage. And we do not want our children, we don't want to model bitterness for our children. We need to forgive those who've wronged us, whether it be your family of origin or people at church or a big hurt you experienced in the past. We want to model forgiveness because 
we want our children to live lives that are we want our children to live lives that are free from the pain of walking around with resentment fueling them you know how it says how they say hurt people hurt people we don't want our children to grow up to be adults that hurt people when they get hurt and so 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 important that we as christians and that we as homeschool moms model forgiveness for i believe when we do that we will set up for them a a way in which to see the world through 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 biblical glasses through god's word Forgiveness is a huge, important mandate in the Word of God, and we do set ourselves free. And people don't have to ask for forgiveness. They don't have to ask for forgiveness to be forgiven. We are required to forgive, whether they've asked for forgiveness or not. Matthew 6.15 says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, makes no mention of them having to repent to you about it. It says, Your Father will not forgive you your sins. And I believe, I don't believe that means we're going to lose our salvation if we don't forgive people, but I do believe we miss out on lots of blessings and lots of excitement and joy in our lives. And, and the abundant life that Jesus came to give us and promised to us, come by obeying his word and choosing, I choose to forgive this person. And here's the thing about forgiveness, and I learned this um, many years ago, that it's not a feeling. You, you're, you don't say, okay, how do I forgive this person because I don't feel it? And then you wait until the feeling comes. No, forgiveness is an actual choice you make. And um, when I realized this, I went and made a list of Every person that had ever hurt me, and I knew that I was still injured by it when I thought about it, and I kind of got that, that high-octane ping, you know, like, oh, that just, ouch, in my chest, that just, ugh, can't believe that happened, you know. I knew there was still some unforgiveness in there, and so I made a list, and I made a list of every single person. I mean, from the girl on the on the playground in kindergarten all the way up to what my spouse said to me last week, just made list after list after list of everything that still hurt what I thought about. And I went to that list and I just asked God to forgive me for for disobeying his word. And then I chose, I made the choice, I choose right now to forgive that person for, that, for what they did. And you would not believe it was like a spiritual experience that I hadn't expected. It was like I was washed free from years of hurts and injuries and, and resentments that just pestered and, and, and hurt and, you know, kind of just dug at me a little bit under the ground, under the surface that I didn't even realize were still bothering me, things that still made me mad when I thought about it too much. Those things washed away, washed away like 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 I had just washed my hands of dirt. And it was a choice I made. And what God does when we make the choice to forgive people is that he brings the feelings of forgiveness and the freedom of forgiveness. He brings that. That's a gift from him. We don't have to drum up those feelings of forgiveness. He brings them. And, of course, there were a few of those things where the enemy would come back and try to remind me about that hurt, and I would just say, nope, I've chosen to forgive. In the name of Jesus, I've chosen to forgive. And it wasn't long before I was totally free from all the pain of the past. And these things are so important that we want to model for our children an attitude of forgiveness because forgiveness can make our children very bitter. And we don't want that to be marring their lives. And some, some kids, you know, you all have different different children. If you have more than one child, you know how different they can be. Some of our children are more given towards holding on to 
um, hurts than others. And those are the children you really have to talk to and help them work through their unforgiveness issues and, and holding on to bitterness towards people who've hurt them. And some kids are just naturally so forgiving. So that's a wonderful thing. But we want to teach them and model an attitude of forgiveness, which I think is a practical way that we can impart a biblical worldview to our children. Okay, and this other one is going to, um, this other practical way we can model a biblical worldview is essentially a, um, it, it kind of hurts because a lot of us are guilty of it, and that is anger. Anger does not, the Bible tells us, the Word of God tells us that anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And our children or in us, either. But what happens is that we use anger because it, it's effective to get short-term results. But it does not produce righteousness. It doesn't produce righteousness in our children if we control them with anger. And what happens is that it becomes habitual. We get fearful and we, 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 get, we get concerned about something and we and our children are not listening and they're not obeying. And then we start reacting by by yelling at them or getting angry with them, and oftentimes it does um, it does end up in yelling, and and our children then they they acquiesce and they and they model themselves so that they can quit getting yelled at, but their hearts have not been changed. Their hearts are not going to be changed by our anger. We need to remember that um, that God wants us to use a gentle answer, and and to respect our children as people, to respect them as adults. It's kind of embarrassing when my, my, my children are all sitting around, you know, with, with their, you know, at Christmas and, you know, we're all just talking and my children might talk about something I used to do when they were little. And I was a little hot-tempered, let's just say that. And I just think, oh, my gosh, they remember everything I've done. It's just so miserable. Why can't they just remember only the good things? But they don't. They remember everything. We need to treat our children as the adults they they will, they will be. Remember them as adults. Think about them as the adults that are going to remember everything you said and did, and they're going to hold you accountable when you're. And it's not too long from now. They're going to grow up like fast, and they are going to hold you accountable for the attitudes and the anger and the yelling and anything that you did that was ungodly towards them. And we want to remember that it, it doesn't it doesn't draw their hearts to God. It doesn't make them more godly. And it doesn't make them love God more or, or want to be better people, to yell at them or be angry with them. What it does is it, it might it make some children comply, make some children non-compliant because they're a little more strong-willed and won't, won't be bullied by us. But we want we don't want our children to be doing what we ask them to do because we've fallen into the habit of yelling and using anger. When I realized that my husband and I had both fallen into this habit many, many years ago, and we are just like this yelling family. We were like, like, put that away. We just knew that. There was no way they were going to do anything unless we yelled at them. And we just got in this horrible habit. And I just stopped. I said, okay, I'm done with this. I'm done yelling and everything I have to say, I have to yell. And so I need to change me. I know my children are doing naughty things, but I need to change me. And, and my husband, you know, felt the same way. I said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. And I came up with this brilliant idea. I always concoct the most 
absurd experiments for dealing with our issues. And so um, this one was a really good one. It really worked. I decided that whenever we yelled at a child, we had to pay that child a dollar. And not only did we have to pay that, and I know my child would have been happy with 50 cents, but I could have paid 50 cents and I would have been like, yeah, that was worth it. 50 cents. I don't mind, you know, paying 50 cents. But not only did we have to pay that child, that child a dollar, we had to pay every child that was within hearing distance a dollar as well because it's stressful to the kids that are not being yelled at when they're yelling at their siblings because they're thinking, okay, am I next? Okay, where do I go? How can I get away from this? And they're just like, their lives become unrestful. And I, you know, I remembered that as a child and I didn't want that for them. I just wanted I wanted a peaceful home, and so I needed to punish myself. My husband also needed to punish himself. He's much more disciplined. It only took him one day to get out of the habit. He loves, didn't like giving away his money, let's just say that. I, you know, it took me about a week of punishment and, and handing out lots and lots and lots of cash before I stopped yelling at them. But it worked because I did not, I had to get a whole stack of ones. I mean, it was just painful to hand all these kids all this money all day long every time I was like, why would you put that there? No, okay. Now I owe four dollars. And then you know whatever it was, it was just it was it was it was going on. I I, I think I had had to pay out a good hundred dollars that first week. So I stopped. It, yeah, it was it was a hundred dollar lesson, but I stopped yelling, which was huge. Because how else are you going to train yourself out of a bad habit like yelling unless it's super painful? My kids felt so guilty. Every time they had done something wrong, literally they knew they were wrong, and they had been yelled at, and I said, okay, here's a dollar. And they're like, no, no, we, I can't take it. And the other kids are like, oh, I'll take my dollar. I want my dollar. You know, they <laughs> didn't get yelled at. But the kid who got yelled at actually felt guilty about taking the dollar, knowing that they had been naughty, and they got yelled at for OB's done. So, nevertheless, if you have the habit of yelling, that is the solution of choice. And yes, I know your children will be happy for 25 cents or 50 cents, but it's got to it's got get you in the gut before you're going to stop doing it. So the dollar is a little more effective. And I just think it's important for us to remember really remember as homeschool moms that we do not have we're not trying to make our children perfect. They don't have to be perfect. We weren't perfect when we were their age. We we're probably a lot worse than they are. And we're thinking, oh, but I don't want them to be like me. The fact is, is you turned out. Well, God already had a plan for your, how you're going to turn out. He has a plan for your children, how they're going to turn out. You don't, you're not, your job is not to produce perfect children. That's not, perfection is not our purpose. Our purpose is helping our children have hearts that are yielded to God so that when they're adults, all of that, all of that training that we, and that, that, that love and that, that, nurturing that we gave them will produce a, an adult that leans towards God and follows his will for their lives. They don't have to be perfect. Our children are going to leave our homes with imperfections. They're not going to be perfect people. We need to remember that we left our homes with lots of imperfections. We have to remember our failures and have compassion on our children, not fear that they're not going to be perfect or they're not they're going to embarrass us or whatever it is that's driving our anger. We must get rid of all anger, rage, and malice. But these are things that God does not want. 
for us to live our lives in. That is not the way he wants his children to live. And as homeschool moms, it's easier for us to fall into these habits because our children are with us all the time. They don't come home at um, 5 o'clock and then, you know, and then go to bed soon after. They are with us all the time, and we feel very responsible for them and how they turn out. And so it's really important that we don't walk in um, in a spirit of anger towards our children. Um, and then I would say the the last and most important factor in in imparting a biblical worldview, a, a practical tip, is that we walk in faith with our children. As homeschool moms, we are so given to neglect our spiritual walk. We're so given to neglect our walk with God in our prayer life. But I want to encourage you not to do that because it's hard to feed your children from an empty well. And we want to we want to feed them from a, a well that's full. And we can't do that if we are not filling ourselves with the Word of God. Um, and, you know, one thing I did when I, especially when my children were little, is I would put them in their rooms for quiet time and I would I would have just a special place and I would go and sit in my house. It, usually if the weather was nice, it was always outside. I would go and sit on a little lawn chair and, and I would start journaling and praying to God. And I had to journal because otherwise my mind would wonder when I was praying because I just happened to be a little bit ADHD. And so I can't pray without thinking about 17 million different things unless I'm actually writing out my prayers in a journal. So um, so it's so important that we nurture our walk with God, that we don't neglect our walk with God because it's because we will fall so far away from him in the when we get involved in the day to day activities of raising our children for the Lord. It's hard to raise our children for the Lord if we're if we're falling away from the Lord. If we're either going towards him, we're falling away. There's just no neutral ground. And it's so important that you live out a life of prayer in front of them. Be people of prayer. Show them that prayer works. When anybody says, can you pray for me, and you're on the phone or whatever it is, just stop and let your children see you. Stop and say, I'll pray for you right now. And they hear you on the phone with your friends or talking to somebody at church or wherever it is, and they do just stop and say, well, let's, let's bow our heads right now and pray. And they see you modeling out a, a life of prayer. Instead of just talking about praying, you, you actually stop and do it. And you, when I was And when my children were little, one thing I I did was um, we had played we had friend play dates and when my kids would get together with their friends of course that was time for me to get together with their moms which was my socialization time much more important than theirs at the time but um, I during that time we always made that a prayer time we made prayer groups based on these play dates and that was such a powerful time we would see God answer incredible prayers and we would share our hearts and our struggles and we would see God's work in our lives and you can't help but to be modeling and 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 imparting a biblical worldview when you're living a life of prayer and your children see answers and see that prayer really does work because that is the one thing that separates us from all the other religions is that we pray to a God who answers our prayers. And when we pray with others, the answers come so much more quickly. I know you've experienced that as have I. So I just want to encourage you not to neglect your faith. And an important, very important part of that is believing his word and believing that his word is true, that he longs to bless you and he longs to bless your children and he longs to give them favor. Psalms 5.12 says, Surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. We are righteous in Christ. Surely, O Lord, you bless, surely you bless the righteous. 
You surround them with favor as with a shield. He puts a shield of favor around our children, a shield of favor around us. We must believe that's how God longs to treat our families, us, in our marriage, in our, in our, in our homeschooling. Wherever we are, God wants to surround us with favor and surround our children with favor as with a shield, and we must believe that. We must believe that our children were created for a purpose, that you are not responsible for your children's success. That's in God's hands. He's already got a plan for their life. He's already orchestrating it and moving it forward. And he loves your children far more than you could ever love them. And his plans for them, his plans for their heart and their character and their lives, is far more elaborate and beautiful than anything you could devise for them. He loves them and has them. He has them. And you can rest and take the burden off yourself and believe his word. His word says in Psalm 138:8, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Which that our children there. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for my children. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. We can have faith in him that he will, he will fulfill his purposes for our children in spite of us. He may use us. He may have to go around us, but he will fulfill his purposes for our children because his love endures forever. And so if we believe his word, if we believe fully, then we can impart a biblical worldview for our children just by living it out in our daily lives, by living in the peace of knowing that he has it all and that we can rest in that we can rest in that truth. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. So we have two questions, um, and Felice says she's glad she doesn't have to answer them, and I agree. Okay. So <laughs> the first one is from, I think it's Jen in Oklahoma City, and she says that academics are very important for her family, and she wants to know how to balance that with unruly kids. Um. Academics are <clears throat> a, a really important in my family too. I, my husband's an attorney, and um, and I, in my, I, we both graduated from the University of Texas, and we're you know very very academically minded. My mother went to Harvard and New York University. She has master, several master's degrees, and we just come from a very very educa- overly educated family. And so for me, academics is really important. But what I realized is that in the, especially in the early years, and that's when they're unruly, it's really more about their heart. You have to focus on their heart above academics because once that, once you do that, then they themselves will have the character they need to, to work on their academics when it is really important, which is, I'm just gonna say it, it's high school. That's when it's important when they have to get those those credits, those Carnegie units to, to um, get into college. But before that, we want to make learning fun. We want to make it about discovery, and we want to make our homeschool experience about the joy of being a family and the unity that you have in that. Because you want to build family unity. You want your children to want to come home from college. I love my my daughter goes to college. 
an hour and a half away. And every time she's a free weekend, she's like, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. She wants to come home and spend time with us. But if we had this, this harsh environment her whole life, I guarantee you she would not be anxious to get home because she would know it would be stringent and rough and, you know, the kids are still working on their school. But she knows it's not. And the, the thing that we need to remember is that it's not about mastery of the material. It's about the memories that you make. That's what's important. And you don't realize it until they're all grown up. And you think back and you think about what was the most important thing about their childhood. It's the things we did together that I want them to remember and think fondly about and have have a feeling of, of being loved and a feeling of being valued and honored and respected and, and cared about and and it not be about you need to finish this work because finishing that worksheet and finishing that curriculum is not going to make them better students. What's going to make them better students is if you sit down and you focus on their hearts and you focus on helping them to to be people that love the Lord. There was a time during my children's lives when um, I had really gotten off. I called it the academics attack. I got attacked by that whole academic thing because you go to homeschool groups and you talk to other moms and you start hearing about the success their children's having. Oh, my third grade is doing algebra and, you know, things like that. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, we haven't even gotten halfway through the book and we're like, school's ending next week. We're just freaking out, you know, just, it, we, we're, you know, I just started getting that whole academic thing and the school year started and I was already behind, I thought. I thought I was behind. And, and so, and I had originally started homeschooling and every morning we were doing devotions. And I was, you know, we were singing hymns. We were going, I had, I did not grow up in a, in a, in a, in a different, I didn't grow up in a, a home that sang hymns and I didn't know any hymns. So one thing we worked on is learning all the hymns and then we went through Bible studies. We did that little, leading little, leading little ones to God and we studied that. We had so much fun in our prayer time. We had a basket full of pictures of, um, Christmas cards and we'd pray for our families that had sent us Christmas cards. And we had this great time together, but then I started realizing we were falling behind on schoolwork. And so I would say, okay, well, we're not going to do devotions today. We're going to do them tomorrow. Of course, tomorrow never came because we continued to have to get caught up on the schoolwork and we we're so far behind. And, and I'd scheduled everything out, but we weren't on schedule. And, and the, you know, the curriculum's not working. You've just got tears every day, and you're stressed out, and you're trying to teach them to read, and they're not learning to read, and you have learning disabilities in the home, and all kinds of things are happening. And you just start, I started feeling really under pressure. And so I let the devotion slip. And things just were unwinding and unraveling at a rapid pace. I mean, it got to be where it was like chaos central and it was crazy and I was angry and we were having a lot a lot of problems with just getting anything done and I would give my kids you know the material and I'd come back 10 minutes later and they were under the desk and crawling around and doing whatever going crazy so finally I just was like okay I'm done I'm done with this I can't I don't think I can homeschool anymore I just don't think I don't I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm not homeschooling I'm done homeschooling for now. I don't know when I'm going to start homeschooling, and I just want to go back to the Bible stuff. So that next morning, I had the kids come down, and I had like a little devotional thing, and I read to them about it, and we talked about God, and I talked about something that got done in my life that was similar to the story, and then and then we, we went around the room and prayed, and we had our little cards from Christmas that we pulled up of praying for people, and 
and and we just talked and we just really shared our hearts about God. And then I was like, I get to pray took two hours for us this whole devotional time. And so I um I was like, okay, that was that was good for me. That's what I needed. I just that's what I needed. I I didn't really need to do school. And so, but after I closed the book and said, okay, guys, that was so great. You know, I love y'all. And then I kind of got up and the kids they all got up off the couch and they trotted to the schoolroom. And they all started doing school on their own. Even the five-year-old, the the the, uh, the seven-year-old crazy one, and the you know my at that time my uh, my nine-year-old daughter, which was about ten. And what was so amazing is that I realized at that point that spiritual maturity will actually produce academic success. And all that time, I had been so focused on making their academics, making them do their academics, where really what I needed to focus on was their hearts to be yielded to God because the same Holy Spirit that leads and guides me leads and guides my children. And I have to believe that and know it's true and believe that as I spend this time focusing on their hearts and the academics doesn't get done, that God's plan for their lives is not going to be thwarted. God has a plan for their lives, and his plan is not for me to be um, a drill sergeant in the classroom. Okay, I hope that answered that question. You know, that was a good answer. So our last question, um, this mom wants to know, how do you deal with having a husband that wants you to do it all? And she says discipline, homeschooling, et cetera. Do you have any encouraging words for this mom a husband that wants you to do it all um well (laughs) i mean i'd just be really honest here i kind of explained to my husband that the level of intimacy that we got together in the bedroom had to do with how much energy i had at the end of the day and that sure helped a lot (laughs) i'm telling you it was like Okay, I'll do the dishes. I'll do so. Things change when they understand that you can, you know, you you are you only have so much energy. You're a human being, and you know, of course, intimacy is an important part of marriage. And it's really hard if you're doing it all to also be the, you know, the 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 wife in the bedroom that your husband would like you to be. And so I would say that's, you know, that helped me as far as. Um, you know an answer for that you can't really change him but that that did in my house that did I didn't you know I wasn't being um manipulative I was just being honest it was just you know a situation I can't I'm doing everything I'm doing too much I am overwhelmed I'm tired I'm exhausted well how can I help you so that we can you know resume our our sex life so that would that was probably not um the most biblical answer, but it was the truth, and that's what worked in my life. And my husband's always been extremely helpful. I don't know if it's just for sex, but he became very excited about what the children were doing and how, you know, how they were, how what great kids they were compared to the guys in the office talking about their kids of the same age. And he just knew that what we were doing was the right thing and the thing that was really making our family different, and he wanted to be a part of it and he wanted to help and he's um and he's just been an incredible 
help in a million other ways like that. But um, but he didn't start out that way, honestly. But it just it kind of evolved. And I would say that probably as he sees your husband sees success in the homeschooling and what you're doing, that you know maybe he will choose to want to be more um, more of a help to you. But definitely pray for him. Have your friends pray for him. Honestly, some of the biggest changes in my marriage have come from getting together with friends and just being really honest and having regular weekly prayer time for our marriages. And um, I've seen marriages saved through regular weekly prayer times with other moms. And and it is um, a powerful, powerful tool that so many of us neglect to use. I think um, Dwight Moody said, next to the wonder of seeing my Savior, I think, will be the wonder that I made so little use of the power of prayer. So I would encourage you truly to find a prayer partner who you can share your your struggles with and pray regularly and faithfully together because God does powerful things through that. And he wants, God wants your husband to be more helpful. He does. And if that's his will for your husband, as you pray, God will unleash his will in your life. Good encouragement. So we are done. So, Jeannie, where can everybody find you? What's the best place to find you online? Um, well, online, the best place to find me is Facebook, and um, but you can all, always email me through my website, JeannieFulbright.com, and um, I have also Twitter and a Pinterest page that goes along with each of my books and a Facebook group that goes along with each of my books. So um, I'm kind of all over the web. If you just do a search, you'll find a lot of different places where I'm out there and, and involved in the, um, the online community. Awesome. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and love to have you back anytime. Thank you so much, Latoya. It was great to to talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Mommy Jamie's Night. I'm your host, Latoya Edwards, and it's been such fun hanging out with you tonight. Please come back and check us out on our website, Mommy Jamie's Night, for all of the archives of our past shows. And don't forget to invite your friends. Set your calendar for the second Tuesday of every month for more fellowship and encouragement.